0: According to Heat Street, Ontario has now passed a law that would allow the government to invade your home and strip you of your child if your little Billy comes home from school one day and announces he's little Sally, and if you have the temerity to tell him that he is not in fact Sally. By a shockingly broad margin of 63 to 23, the Supporting Children, Youth and Families Act of 2017 passed through the Ontario Legislature. It tells child services and judges to consider factors including race, ancestry, place of origin, color, ethnic origin, citizenship, family diversity, disability, creed, sex sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression in removing a child from the home. Michael Couteau, who is the Minister of Child and Family Services, was explicit in his tyranny. He said, quote, I would consider that a form of abuse when a child identify one way and a caregiver is saying, no, you need to do this differently. If it's abuse, and if it's within the definition, a child can be removed from that environment and placed into protection where the abuse stops. If all of this sounds bizarre, that's because it is. It is also fascism. To remove a child from the home because the government disagrees with basic biology is beyond the pale of the reasonable. Unfortunately, it's not going to be long before leftists in the United States push the same thing. The first step on that road is the widely acclaimed spate of legislation banning so-called conversion therapy for children with homosexual tendencies. This is not an argument in favor of the efficacy of conversion therapy, which is iffy in even the best circumstances. But... If a child is disturbed by homosexual feelings and you bring that child to a therapist to talk it through, that would now be considered illegal in states including California and New Jersey. As Scott Shackelford of Reason Magazine explains, quote, Bans on conversion therapy are fundamentally censorship of an idea and there is a slippery slope and consequences that people with narrow interests in halting abusive treatment of gay and transgender teens simply do not grasp. This isn't a ban on particular dangerous technique like electroshock treatment for example. It's a ban on anything, even just speech. Coming from a licensed therapist that suggests homosexuality can be cured. It is dangerous to allow the government to control the classification of speech and to recast speech as something else just because commerce is involved. The next step will undoubtedly be removing children from parents who pursue such therapy in spite of the ban, purportedly for the good of the child. The left's next step could be to remove accreditation from schools that do not traffic in LGBT advocacy. After all, California has attempted to remove nonprofit status from the Boy Scouts. Schools in California have now mandated that kids learn about LGBT history in public schools. What happens when people homeschool and the state decides that homeschooling is inappropriate for children if they aren't taught the state's educational approach? It's not difficult to imagine Child Protective Services removing children whose parents won't teach them positively about the full spectrum of sexual orientation, in the interests of the child, of course. Or leftists could skip directly to the Ontario scenario. They could claim that transgender children are being shackled by their bigoted parents and must be protected by the state. This is scary stuff. It's particularly scary, not only for religious parents, but for anyone who understands that there is no evidence that transgender feelings among children are unchanging, the vast majority of children with such feelings grow out of them, or that boys cannot actually become girls. In Ontario, the state has now placed itself in direct opposition to science and freedom. In the United States, the movement to do the same must be stopped now, before families are torn apart on behalf of a propagandistic sexual agenda. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Lots to get to today president trump is now taking on the mayor of london we are also going to be talking about this leak this leaker who was arrested whose name was reality winner yes that was actually the name of the leaker reality winner who was in reality a loser and also if your last name is winner i'm just going to recommend a few ideas for you for children cross court forehand backhand big lottery All of these would be preferable to reality. But before we get to any of that, I want to talk about one of our sponsors, Bull & Branch. So... I've said before on the show, I am not a solid sleeper. I sleep very poorly at night typically, but I have not been sleeping poorly since I've been using Bull and Branch sheets. That's because they are 100% organic cotton. They really breathe. They are super comfortable. They are so comfortable that I literally threw out all of my other sets of sheets and bought a couple more sets of Bull and Branch sheets. And you can try them right now for 30 nights. And if you don't like them, you can send them back for a refund. Bullandbranch.com, promo code BEN. You get $50 off your first set of sheets, plus free shipping, three ex-presidents, plus... President Clinton, if he's one of those, his lovers, sleep on bull and brand sheets. They are the best in the business. There's a reason that they are so great. Quality sheets can cost up to $1,000. Bull and brand sheets are a small, small fraction of that. And again, it's something you're sleeping on every night. There's no excuse not to treat yourself with bull and branch sheets. B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Promo code Ben $50 off your first set of sheets plus free shipping. Again, that's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Promo code Ben. And use that promo code Ben so that they know that that we sent you, as well as getting that $50 off that first set of sheets plus free shipping. It, it'll totally change your sleep pattern. It'll it'll you're never gonna be able to sleep on other sheets. It's it's that good. Okay, so Big news today is that a leaker has now been arrested. President Trump has been very worried about people inside the intelligence community leaking against him. But this leaker was arrested after leaking material to a lefty publication called The Intercept. Uh, The Intercept is uh, sort of sympathetic to the Edward Snowden position on intelligence. And this leaker, whose name, as I say, is Reality Lay Winner, 25. She was arrested by the FBI at her home on Saturday, June 3rd. And it was probably about, the people are still not sure, but it was supposedly about this document that she passed on to The Intercept that showed that a couple of days before the election, the Russians were attempting to hack into actual voting machines in the United States, which would, of course, throw the entire election system into turmoil. There have always been these conspiracy theories about how it, it happened in 2000. There are there conspiracy theories uh, in 2000 and uh, in 2016 as well, that these voting machines were actually hacked, and that's why Trump won, is because the Russians were going in and actually manipulating the final voting outcome. There's still no evidence that they succeeded in that. The document from the NSA that was leaked by reality winner did not actually show that the Russians were successful in their attempts to hack. It just showed that they tried to, but she was arrested. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, he said, Exceptional law enforcement efforts allowed us to quickly identify and arrest the defendant. Releasing classified material without authorization threatens our national security and undermines public faith in government. People who are trusted with classified information and pledged to protect it must be held accountable when they violate that obligation. So apparently, according to the criminal complaint, Reality Winner. I'm never going to get tired of saying that name. I just feel like Reality Winner should have at some point dated Carlos Danger, uh, and they should all touch the orb together, and they should say I mean, we've We've now reached peak stupid, I think, in 2017. But every time I say that, there's like another two weeks that go by, and we're even stupider than that. So... Uh, We're in the alternative timeline in which Marty McFly did not prevent Biff from using the sports almanac in order to bet on on games. In any case, the criminal complaint alleges that Winner, a contractor with Pluribus International Corporation, was employed at a U.S. government agency facility in Georgia since roughly February 13th, and she held a top-secret clearance sometime around May 9th. She printed an improperly removed classified intelligence reporting, which contained classified national defense information from an intelligence community agency, illegally kept it, and then illegally transferred. Transmitted the intelligence reporting to an online news outlet, which would be The Intercept. Uh, And I guess guess the way that they tracked her down is The Intercept printed the actual copy of the document, and it showed that the document had been folded, which looked like it had been an actual original document that was printed out at the facility, folded up, put in a pocket, and then walked out. So then they were able to look at who exactly had access to these documents and who had printed it out, and they came up with her. So, well done, The Intercept, protecting your your leaker. Just... (laughs) Genius job there. Really well done. But the the, the amazing thing, the amazing thing is I think we're going to have to issue a, a ban on the importation of people into government service until we know what the hell is going on because our extreme vetting is just not working. It is just not working. Here is the fact. Reality winner, again, a person whose name I will never tire of saying, reality winner, if you looked at her Twitter feed, this is not a person who should have ever had top-secret security clearance. Top-secret security clearance usually includes not just a criminal background check and employment history, but also a background investigator verifies all the information, does a grueling and lengthy process of speaking to past employers, neighbors, spouses, ex-spouses, and acquaintances to determine whether you're trustworthy enough to be given clearance according to TheBalance.com, which is an employment site. It covers a 10-year period, and they give you a polygraph in many cases. But they didn't check her Twitter feed. Okay, like th- two days, literally two days before she started working for the federal government, she went on Twitter and she responded to a tweet from Javad Sarif. Javad Sarif is the dictator or the, the, the foreign minister, rather, of the Iranian terrorist government. He said, we will never use our weapons against anyone except in self-defense. Let us see if any of those who complain can make the same statement, talking about talking about nuclear use. and And Reality Winner tweeted back, There are many Americans protesting U.S. government aggression towards Iran. If our tangerine-in-chief declares war, we stand with you. Okay, she had top-secret clearance. And she was saying, with top-secret clearance, that if the United States had to go to war with Iran, she would side with Iran. Um, what? How did she—where's the extreme vetting? Uh, Am I concerned about the ability of our government to vet people who are coming in from abroad? Yes. But I am even more concerned if we can't vet the people who are getting top sec- I don't have top security clearance. Do you? I don't think anyone in this room has top security clearance. I doubt I'd be given top security clearance under the standards uh, of the federal government because I'm very outspoken in my political views. But this gal went on Twitter and she was just sounding off on whatever she felt like sounding off on. There's one point where she tweeted at Kanye West. Again, this is after she was working for the federal government in February 2017. Quote, you should make a shirt that says, being white is terrorism. Hmm? Okay, this person got top-secret clearance, so well done, federal government, as always, just doing a stellar job. Now, the left is jumping on the arrest of reality winner to say a couple of things. One, they're saying, oh, Trump is going after leakers. How dare Trump go after leakers? It's just so terrible. Okay, first of all, let me just point out that Trump going after leakers, Obama would have gone after this leaker, too. I mean, the idea that, that this was in any way legal or acceptable is just nonsense. Anyone would have gone after reality winner, but what the Democrats are really jumping on is the fact that the document that she exposed said that these voting machines were hacked. So Tim Kaine, the vice presidential candidate, along with Hillary Clinton in 2016, he said that he thinks that it's not out of the realm of possibility that Hillary actually won the election and that the Russians hacked the voting machines. I think the vote count could have been affected by the Russians?
1: Oh, I, I definitely think so. And let's just make a let's make a distinction here. Um, I don't think anybody has suggested that the actual tallies on the machines were affected, although that's certainly something we should look at. But I haven't heard anybody suggest that there's evidence that that occurred. Um, but when the when the combined weight of the intelligence committees say that Russia was engaging in a wide-ranging pattern of action to affect the election, to say there was we can determine that there was no effect. You'd be foolish to say that. Um, Especially when you add to the leaking of information, the fact that they were sucking data about individuals outside of state boards of elections. And again, Aaron, that is all publicly reported material that I'm giving you. Um, so, look, they they intended to affect the outcome. We have to get to the bottom of everything they did so we can protect future elections. We won't rule we out ha-
0: the idea that they actually hacked the election results. I'm, I'm just wondering here again, if you're moving without evidence on this thing to suggest that it's possible, the actual election was hacked, which is what Democrats have been saying for a year now, is that the actual election was hacked or since the election, they've been saying the actual election was hacked. You should actually have to show some evidence of that, because otherwise you are just participating in exactly what Democrats were whining about leading up to the 2016 election, saying Republicans wouldn't accept the outcome. We are now months and months and months beyond the election. They still won't accept the outcome. And they are, again, buying into the notion without evidence that the actual election results were hacked. They keep saying the election was hacked. It was not. But I think the broader point here is not about the insanity of the Democrats, which is consistent. It is that it is very difficult to vet people. It's very difficult to vet people, which means we have to be extraordinarily strict, extraordinarily stringent about who we let into the country and give the priorities and, and privileges of citizenship. So the, here's an example. We, we in, in the West, we are very cordial about our rights, obviously, and we should be. Uh, but that very often veers into the stupidity of either granting top security clearance to people who shouldn't have it, as in the case of Reality Winner, or pretending that violent jihadis are not violent jihadis because they live in the West. So, for example, there's this terrorist whose name is Butt. That's really his name. His name is Kuram Shahzad Butt. And uh, this is one of the London terrorists. And he was featured in a documentary on the BBC about jihadis. It was called The Jihadi Next Door. And he was actually on that documentary... And yet, they still were not keeping tabs on him enough to stop him from helping commit this London Bridge terror attack. Here's video of Khurad Shazam butt in the jihadi, <laughs> in in the train, in, in jihadi next door. Okay, if you can't first, see this.
2: Guys, tell me the Qibla, please. Come on. Somebody tell me the Qibla. Anyone got a smartphone? So- oh, so the Qibla, yeah. He's just gonna find out the direction for prayer. For us. So this is a type of jihad for you? That you came out to do da'wah? joining good and forbidding evil? And don't be deterred? Salaam alaikum wa you have got the
1: personal details on you? Would like to speak to you? No, this game I don't think so. There's no so personal no. details
0: on you. Right. Behave, uh, no. be no. be don't touch me. No, no, be no. Be don't stop touch for a minute. I'm under arrest. You're detained. Detained for what? Are you insane? Are you insane? What Sir, You're not searching me. Are you insane?
1: Search. Search for what? Why are you touching him? What if it's What if What's
0: Okay, and and you can see this actual terrorist being confronted by a cop, and then the cop is surrounded by a bunch of young Muslim guys. Here Here is the question. Why is it that the West seems so bad at vetting? And the answer is because we in the West have a basic assumption, which is that all the people who live in the West are going to appreciate the privileges and values of the West. That is absolutely untrue. It's absolutely untrue. And because we assume that, we make the mistake of granting privileges and immunities to people who ought not have them. The fact that this guy appeared on a documentary called The Jihadi Next Door means he should have been under 24-hour surveillance. This is insanity. It's insanity. You want to know about all the red flags? A great piece by Aaron Bandler over at Daily Wire today about all the red flags on this particular terrorist, okay? Not only was he on this Jihadi Next Door documentary, but also in 2015, the police were alerted about him when he attempted to spread Islamic propaganda to children in a park. She confronted, she was, he was confronted by a mother after her two children came home and said, Mommy, I want to become a Muslim. She passed along the information. He was trying to radicalize the children, said the mother. He would go down to the park and talk to them about Islam, and he tried to recruit them to Islam, and the police, of course, let that go. A friend of Butts also reported him to the police due to comments he made to justify a terror attack. Apparently, one of his friends phoned the anti-terror hotline, and they told him about the conversation and why he was radicalized, and nothing happened. He is also, um, he was part of a radical Islamic organization known as Al-Muhahiron, which has lobbied for Sharia law and has been linked to 50% of all terror attacks in Britain over the past 20 years. He wanted to wage jihad in Syria, according to a relative of Butt's wife, uh, but never acknowledged women in conversation. Uh, He was kicked out of a mosque for arguing with an imam during a sermon. They've been conducting surveillance of a terror cell in the London town of Barking, where Butt lived since March, and they missed him. The day of the attack, Butt asked his neighbor where he could find a van. Uh, And, uh, again, he was known to the Met Police and the Metropolitan Police as well as MI5, but they didn't touch him because, obviously, that would be politically incorrect. So, When President Trump says that he's very upset about the political correctness that dominates when it comes to policing of Islamic jihadism, he is absolutely right. We should also be just as—we should be just as— attentive to the fact that there are people who are attempting to get top security clearance who have political motivations again if you express it's one thing just to be you know politically left that's not a big deal but if you are somebody who's expressing sympathy for the Iranian regime over the United States I think that it's probably a mistake to give you top security clearance vetting 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 i know that the left has this basic principle that they never want to engage in risk calculation they think all risk calculation is profiling okay all criminal behavior can be profiled through risk calculation but attempting to profile through risk calculation is considered racist sexist xenophobic, politically incorrect by the left, and that's why you end up with bad people slipping through the cracks. Well, in just a second, I'm going to be joined by Senator Mike Lee of Utah. He's a brand new book out, but before I get to that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at My Patriot Supply. So, are you concerned about the direction of security? Are you concerned about terrorism? Are you concerned about the possibility of a big terror attack that would leave you cut off from supplies or a big natural disaster? That's why you need to go to preparewithben.com or call 888 803 1413. PrepareWithBen.com. 888-803-1413 for your four-week emergency food supply for just $99 plus free shipping. You get that four-week emergency food supply. Keep your family safe. It apparently tastes exactly like home cooking according to people in the office. PrepareWithBen.com. That's PrepareWithBen.com. You know, you buy it once, you never have to worry about it again. 888-803-1413. PrepareWithBen.com. Be the person who's prepared in case of emergency. Your family is going to thank you for it. Again, $99 for a four-week emergency food supply. Okay, so yesterday we had the opportunity to speak with Senator Mike Lee, and here is uh, a bit of our conversation for, with, uh, with the great senator from Utah, maybe the last honest man in the, in the United States Senate. Well, joining us here now on the Ben Shapiro Show is my favorite senator, the, the last honest senator in America, Senator Mike Lee of Utah. Uh, he has the benefit of also being from a state that actually elects conservatives every once in a while. So Senator Mike Lee has a brand-new book out called Written Out of History, The Forgotten Founders Who Fought... Big government is soaring up the charts at Amazon. It was all the way up to number number seven on the Amazon bestseller list. We want to bring it all the way up to number one. So if you can, go over to Amazon right now. And buy written out of government, forgotten founders who forgot who fought big government. Senator Lee, thanks so much for joining the show. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. So uh, why don't we jump right into the book because it's, it's fascinating that everybody reads the Federalist Papers. Nobody reads the Anti-Federalist Papers. And if they had read the Anti-Federalist Papers, they would understand that a lot of the debates that were had back then are being had today, except with a government that is much bigger. Your book is about, so, not necessarily the people who were writing in the Anti-Federalist Papers, but people who were bringing a different point of view to bear, even at the time of the founding, about the overreach of federal government. So let's run through, through some of these people, because I think it really is fascinating content. So let's start with Aaron Burr, who's been Portrayed as the great villain of American history, now of course Hamilton is a big hero to everybody because there's a musical that very few people have seen, but everyone has heard of. Uh, and uh, and Aaron Burr is is portrayed largely by a guy who ended up a, a, as a guy who ended up as a traitor, trying to destroy the country. What exactly is the true story of Aaron Burr, and how did he impact the building of the country?
3: Aaron Burr was himself a victim, was a victim, the victim of an overreaching President Thomas Jefferson, who had this. Political rage problem. He became obsessed with his own power, and they wanted to fight When Aaron Burr was vice president under Thomas Jefferson, and, uh, as vice president, he was also president of the Senate. There were a number of people who were themselves the victims of Jefferson's political road rage, who found themselves at the receiving end of impeachment proceedings. Aaron Burr, as president of the Senate, afforded them due process and fairness. This bothered. Thomas Jefferson a lot. It also bothered him that uh, Aaron Burr was still kind of a political threat to him. So later, during Jefferson's second term, when uh, uh, when Burr was no longer his vice president, Jefferson went after him and accused him of treason, prosecuted him for treason, a capital offense. So, but for some language in the Constitution, Burr would have lost his life to Thomas Jefferson's tavern. Now, look, Jefferson did some great things. He was a great mind, the author of the Declaration of Independence. But he wasn't perfect. And this story, and the story of Aaron Burr's involvement in it, is a lasting reminder to us that even a wise, bright man like Thomas Jefferson can be corrupted by power. We should always be wary.
0: It's fascinating that you talk about that because obviously, you know, now there's a lot of talk about whether it's necessary to have character in government. There's a lot of talk after this last election cycle uh, where a lot of people were concerned about the character of both major candidates for for presidents of the United States. And a lot of people, it seems, have basically come to the conclusion after the Clinton years uh, that character doesn't matter in the president at all and that we should just pick somebody. The system will handle itself. There's not really a great threat. What do you you make of that argument in in light of American history?
3: Well, I think what we have to remember is that when even a good person is someone who might abuse power, we have to carefully cabin that power. I I remember when I was a kid seeing a movie where there was this tyrannical king, I don't even remember the name of the movie, but the the tyrant king got really mad one day and he said, that's it, I'm canceling Christmas. I thought, what kind of society even gives power to the king to cancel Christmas? They shouldn't ever do that in the first place. You don't want to give power to a king to uh, take away something as fundamental to people as their religious holidays. And so regardless of where you start with the person, even a person who is an absolute saint should not be trusted with unlimited power. The entire founding generation, including the people I focus on in my book, written out of history, were suspicious of government power. Everyone expected George Washington to be our first president. They all respected George Washington, but they still deliberately created a relatively weak presidency meaning someone who wouldn't have too much power in the first place to abuse.
0: Well, the book is Written Out of History, The Forgotten Founders Who Fought Big Government. Another name that people will know but may not know about him is Elbridge Gerry. Uh, Everybody knows his name because of gerrymandering, of course, and there are so many uh, lawsuits now about whether districts are being properly drawn because they are, quote-unquote, gerrymandered. But what exactly was Elbridge Gerry's role in the the founding of the country?
3: Well, he was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention. He was one of those who had some real serious concerns with the Constitution, even at the end of the drafting process, he was, in many respects, the, the, uh, the forebear, the, the uh, progenitor of the Bill of Rights. He was the author of the language that became the Tenth Amendment. Only his version of the Tenth Amendment would have been better. It contained one word that's lacking in the Tenth Amendment as it was ultimately drafted and ratified, and that is expressly. The way Jerry wrote it, uh, originally, it would have been all powers not expressly granted to Congress uh, or prohibited to the states or reserved to the states or to the people. And James Madison took that out, took out the word expressly, thinking it was unnecessary. Uh, many decades later, about 150 years later, uh, I, I think Elbridge Geary was proven right in this. We would have been better off had the word expressly been included.
0: So uh, I want to talk a little bit about applying lessons of written out of history to modern government. So obviously the government has grown far more than any of the founders ever would have perceived. The battles between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists and the people who were critical of government power at the time, and centralization of power, and the people who were in favor of that centralization of power. John Adams, who was a big proponent of, of a stronger executive and a stronger federal government, even he would look at the, at the situation now and probably vomit and never stop vomiting because none of these guys were in favor of the, the overarching federal government that we have. Now, how do we pair that back? Because it seems like we have an incentive system where Congress has an incentive to pass incredibly vague laws and blame all of the implementation on the executive. The executive has the incentive to continue uh, accreting as much power to itself as humanly possible. And the Supreme Court and the the court system has as much incentive as possible to increase their own power by greenlighting federal power. So, where exactly can we stop this cycle? Is it an Article Five convention? Is it we're just going to have to wait for people to wise up and learn American history because that may take a while? What, what what exactly can we do, not only as citizens, but what can you do in Congress to actually help effectuate this?
3: Okay, uh, great question. Uh, this is actually uh, something that cuts at the heart of why I wrote this book. Regardless of the mechanics, whether it occurs through an Article Five convention, which is an option, or whether it occurs through a series of legislative reforms, Uh, or or constitutional reforms brought about within Congress, Uh, regardless of how it happened. It's not going to happen until it has to happen, until the people insist on it happening. But that, in turn, isn't going to occur until such time as people reacquaint themselves with our true founding story. Our modern-day accounts of America's founding and of the founding of the Constitution have been sanitized. They've been sanitized by an educational and political and media establishment that wants a single narrative, wants the sort of post-New Deal era narrative to uh, dominate the discussion. And so as a result, what we've all been taught in public school, in college, even in most private schools, is that those who advocated for a bigger, stronger national government are the ones to be revered. The anti-federalists, like Luther Martin, who I discuss in my book, have been sort of cast aside. The problem is that we don't have both sides of the story being told. Once the American people become reacquainted with the other side of the story, the one that's been written out of history, uh, they can begin to exercise the political will and and, and move forward with these movements. Again, whether it's through an Article Five convention or otherwise, the will has to be there on the part of the people. But the people aren't going to have the will until they... Reacquaint themselves with these stories and until these become part of our national political discourse.
0: And we're talking with Senator Mike Lee, author of Written Out of History, The Forgotten Founders Who Fought Big Government. I'd be remiss, Senator Lee, if I didn't ask you a little bit about what's going on in the Senate right now, just in terms of uh, politics. Uh, we're, we're looking at we're now 150 days into the Trump administration. And aside from the Congressional Review Act, no major legislation has really passed through Congress. Uh, do you foresee there being a, a major tax reform bill, given the the hubbub that's happening over, over health care? Right now, it seems like in order to get a good tax reform bill through, they need to get some sort of health care reform through in order to build up the savings that they can use to pass on those savings to reconciliation uh, for, for purposes of, of tax reform. Do you think that we're going to get one of those, neither of those? Uh, and a uh, uh, broader question as a follow-up, would it be better if we just stopped with all these omnibus packages in general and started passing three-page bills that everybody could vote up or down?
3: Yes. So let me let me deal with your last question first. Absolutely. This is one of my biggest frustrations with the voice is that uh, for years and years, or at least the six and a half year period that I've been, Congress has not been appropriating that is passing bills that spend money uh, through the regular order process. In other words, we wait until the deadline We we run right up uh, uh, to the uh, limit placed on a spending bill, usually September 30th. And then we're told you either pass this bill, either a continuing resolution or an omnibus spending package, or the government's going to shut down. Take it or leave it. And by the way, in this package, the CR or the omnibus or whatever it is, it's going to fund Planned Parenthood. It's going to fund all these bad things that you don't like. It's going to fund Obamacare. But you have to do this, or you're going to get blamed for a shutdown. That's how it's been working. I wish we would take this in a step-by-step fashion past much smaller, more granular spending bills so that we can bring the attention uh, to each individual area of government spending. With respect to your other question about tax reform and Obamacare repeal, look, I believe both of those are going to happen. I'm probably in the minority in saying that, at least from those who are speaking out in public. The reason I think that is that we have to. We, we, the Republican Party is going to be in serious, serious jeopardy if it doesn't pass both of these. And most people seem to think that the Obamacare repeal needs to come first for tax reasons. I'm agnostic on that point. I actually think you could do it together if you wanted to. Uh, but uh, regardless, we have to pass both of them. And if we don't, we're in for a world of trouble. That's usually where something happens in Washington, is where members of Congress are made aware of the fact that there's going to be hell to pay if they don't do it. I think we're in that circumstance with Obamacare repeal and with tax reform.
0: And I therefore think something will happen. Senator Mike Lee, thanks so much for joining the show. The book, again, is written out of history, The Forgotten Founders Who Fought Big Government. You should definitely check it out. You can hear, obviously, Senator Lee uh, is uh, super fluent, not only in American history, but also in governance. And this is a must read for people who are concerned about the future of government, just as they should be about the past of American government. You can't understand where we are without knowing where we've been and what the arguments were on the other side, many of which were actually correct. As time went on, it was proved that they were correct. Senator Lee, thanks so much for joining the show. Keep doing what you're doing. Obviously, we're big admirers here at the show. So thank Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Okay, so I want to discuss President Trump's battle with the London mayor, uh, Sadiq Khan, in just a second. But for that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com, become a subscriber for just $8 a month. You can be a subscriber at dailywire.com, see the rest of the show live. Uh, You can also see the the rest of Clavin's show live. You can become part of the mailbag, which we're going to be doing on Fridays now. Um, be thanks to the, the addition of a fifth show a week. Yes, that's right. We are now broadcasting every single weekday. Yay! So, $8 a month will get you that. Annual subscription will get you a free signed copy of the new book that I have out with my father, Say It So, Papa, Dad, Me, and the 2005 White Sox Championship season. Uh, it is a great Father's Day gift. It's perfect for your dad. I know because I wrote it with mine. Uh, so, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Endorsed by Mark Levin and Dana Perino and Jerry Krasnick over at ESPN.com. Really good baseball book. Not political, so much as it is just about relationships and father and son stuff and you can get a free signed copy of that when you go over to dailywire.com and become an annual subscriber even if you're a regular subscriber if you upgrade to an annual subscription uh, then you can get a free signed copy as well okay we are the largest conservative podcast in the country So, President Trump has been in a pitch battle with the mayor of London, apparently, and this is not a supremely smart thing from President Trump. The reason I say that is not because I think he's wrong about Sadiq Khan. I think Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, is just a turd. I I think he's an awful mayor. I think he's made room for radical Islam to rise in his city. Uh, I think that he's done a terrible job of promulgating Western values. Um, But, that said, in the middle of a terror attack, President Trump decided that it would be a good time to attack Khan, not on the fact that Khan's policies had actually been really negative and bad, but on the fact that Khan had called for calm, which was weird. Uh, so it's, you know, that, that was not, I thought, the, the world's greatest move by Trump. But the media have, have jumped on this because, again— the, the, there is, there's a general tendency out there on the right to celebrate every time Trump says something that's politically incorrect without regard to whether it's helpful or not. And I think that is still a key question. Is it helpful when Trump says things or is it not helpful? I'm more interested in helpful versus not helpful than I am in emotionally satisfying versus non-emotionally satisfying. If I want emotional satisfaction, that's why I have a wife, that's why I have a kid, uh, and that's why I have two kids, uh, and that is why most people have a dog. If you want emotional satisfaction, find people you love and be emotionally satisfied by them. You're not going to find emotional satisfaction in a president saying things at least not longer than the next five minutes. What you actually need is efficiency, efficacy, a president who's able to promulgate a message. So the left has jumped on the fact that Trump attacked Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, uh, for no real reason. Uh, Again, there are plenty of good reasons to attack Sadiq Khan, who is a garbage mayor um, and a garbage politician and a bad representative of reform, moderate Islam. Lots of reasons to attack him. That's not why Trump attacked him. And so the media have jumped on that to attempt to create this this wedge between Britain and the United States, particularly because there's a big British election that's coming up in the next week. Uh, So CNN's Jim Acosta asked at the White House press conference yesterday if Trump was attacking Khan because Khan was Muslim. Is
3: it
2: a travel ban? Look, I, I don't think the president cares what you call it, whether you call it a ban, whether you, call, like it you, you call it a he, restriction. He cares that we call it national security and that we take steps to protect the people of this country. It's real simple. Everybody wants to get into the labels and the semantics of it, but the bottom line is he's trying to protect the citizens of this country. The danger is extremely clear. The law is very clear, and the need for this executive order is very clear, and the president's priority in protecting the people is very clear. And, Full stop. And, and
3: look let me ask you to follow up on the, what John was asking about with respect to the mayor of London. There are going to be folks who are going to ask the question was the president attacking the mayor of London because
0: he's Muslim?
2: Not at all. And I think to suggest something like that is utterly ridiculous.
0: And she's right. That's not why Trump was attacking him. Trump was attacking him because he saw something on Fox and Friends and got mad, and so he decided to attack him. That's really the reason. Um, But now Sadiq Khan is using the attack from Trump as a reason to drive a wedge. And again, this is just in time for the British election, so... The London mayor, according to The Guardian, the London mayor, Sadiq Khan, has called on the British government to cancel a planned state visit by President Trump after being criticized in two tweets by the U.S. president. Trump initially criticized Khan for his response to the London Bridge terrorist attack, though in doing so, he misquoted London's mayor. Khan's office pointed out Trump's error later, but the president responded by accusing London's mayor of making a pathetic excuse. Khan said Trump was wrong about many things and said his state visit should not go ahead. He said, I don't think we should roll out the red carpet to the president of the USA in the circumstances where his policies go against everything we stand for. Now, the reason that this matters is not because it matters if Trump says bad things about Sadiq Khan. The reason is because this is one case where rhetoric comes into conflict with goals. So if you are President Trump, you would much, much rather have Theresa May, the Tory leader, the conservative leader in Britain, at the top of the government with a major conservative majority then have Jeremy Corbyn, who's an insane person, okay? Jeremy Corbyn is legitimately a crazy human being. And yet Jeremy Corbyn is now running neck and neck with Theresa May. The last thing you want to do is make life tough for Theresa May. It's a, it's a, it's a big mistake. It's really foolish, you know, So so, but that's exactly what's happening. There's an op-ed today in, I think it's the New York Times, in which there's somebody who is is, a guy named, um, who is this? This is uh, Roger Cohen, who I've never heard of before. But Roger Cohen uh, is apparently a columnist for The New York Times, and he's writing about the election. And here is what he writes. And this is, I think, unfortunately, a common sentiment in Europe. It doesn't mean they're right. It means that they're stupid and suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. But Trump should know that, and he'd be smart to downplay all of this. Here's what the column says, quote, For a long time, I could not bring myself to write about the British election. Trump coddling self-important flip-flopping Theresa May, ensconced at 10 Downing Street without ever being elected prime minister, was going to sweep to her hard Brexit victory and take the country down her little England rabbit hole. There were more important things to think about, like the end of the the American century in 2017, 100 years after the Bolshevik Revolution. A boorish clown named Donald Trump brought down the curtain. In Britain, anyway, there was no story. The June 8th vote was a formality. The Labour Party was in meltdown, having exited the Blairite middle ground for leftist orthodoxy under Jeremy Corbyn. The British, their ludicrous vote to keep the EU gradually sinking in, had morphed into sheep. May would get her mandate to do her worst with Boris Johnson, a foreign secretary who long since forsook any claim to be taken seriously, cheering her on. Then came two unspeakable terrorist attacks, one in Manchester and one in London. Of course, Trump tried to make cheap political capital from the blood on London streets. He quoted London's Mayor Sadiq Khan out of context in a flurry of tweets aimed at buttressing the case for his bigotry. And then he goes on, uh, this, this crazy columnist, and this is an amazing, it's an amazing column because here's what he comes to, okay? Quote, elections take place in the real world. They often involve unpleasant choices. I dislike Corbyn's anti-Americanism, his long flirtation with Hamas, his coterie's clueless leftover Marxism and anti-Zionism, his NATO bashing, his unworkable tax and spend promises. He's of that awful Cold War left that actually believed Soviet Moscow was probably not as bad as Washington. Still, Corbyn would not do May's shameful Trump love thing can you understand what's happening here there there's a counter-trump movement that is now rising in europe it's why emmanuel macron was trying to out handshake trump when he went to brussels it is why the prime ministers of the nordic countries took a picture mocking trump by putting their hand on a soccer ball it is why jeremy corbyn in part is rising in the polls as a reaction to the relationship between theresa may and trump trump is wildly less popular in europe than he is here and trump should know that instead by polarizing with his tweets I don't know what, what benefit there is to this. It is funny. There is a am trying to remember who it was who tweeted out this morning that Trump's Twitter is just the greatest thing ever. Trump himself tweeted it out. So Trump himself tweeted out this morning that the fake MSM wants the fake news MSM wants him to stop tweeting because he's speaking directly to the people. OK, that is just a lie that the media love nothing better than when Trump tweets. It is their favorite thing in the world when Trump tweets because it gives them something to cover. I mean, Jake Tapper is right. He tweets, fact check. MSM eats up his tweets like Skittles. It's White House advisors, lawyers and Trump supporters who want him to stop tweeting. Again, the reason that I point this out is because there is a tweet from Chris Barron, who's a big supporter of President Trump's. And he tweets, Trump's use of social media is pure genius. The media chases every squirrel he releases. Maybe the media should get off Twitter. And so I tweeted back, please name the policy priorities advanced thanks to Trump's Twitter use as president. Okay, as distinguished from Trump's Twitter use during the campaign. During the campaign, campaigning is not being president. Obama, very good at campaigning, terrible president. Trump, good at campaigning. Apparently not that great at effectuating policy. And the reason this matters is because this actually has ramifications for foreign policy. We've already gotten a leftist elected in South Korea who's adversarial to American interests in South Korea largely out of backlash to Trump. Now we are about to get Jeremy Corbyn, who's a nutcase Marxist, anti, anti-Semitic piece of crap, elected to the prime ministership of Great Britain because Trump feels the need to pick fights with random politicians in London. How is this effective? How is this good? So before we all celebrate, ooh, he's a bull in a China shop and he's breaking things, and yay! Okay, why don't we think about maybe the things that he's breaking? We might need those things, like Theresa May. We might need that thing. The, the, The conservative... Prime Minister in—the Conservative President and Prime Minister in in, the Prime Minister in, uh, in South Korea. We might have needed that guy. Not everything is worth breaking. Perceptions are worth breaking. That's great. But if it comes along with also destroying the policies that would allow us to actually finish those perceptions once and for all, then it's a mistake. Okay, meanwhile— Big news coming out uh, regarding the Comey hearing. So James Comey, the former FBI director, is slated to testify at the uh, in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. He's supposed to testify starting on Thursday. The media, of course, are doing what the media do. They're going blanket, wall-to-wall coverage on all of this. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Policy Genius. So if you don't own life insurance, you are making a big mistake. Okay, your family needs you to get policy. It needs you to go to PolicyGenius.com right now and get life insurance. You can save over 40% on other life insurance prices that's because everybody basically competes to offer you the policy that is best suited to your needs there's no upsell there's no middleman they've placed over 5 billion dollars in life insurance for people just like you and they have a licensed customer service team to help you find the best policy at the best price and these people are not going to be making money off of upselling you on the insurance that you buy, so you don't have to worry about them bamboozling you. You go there, you check out all of the policies, and you buy the one that fits your program the best. PolicyGenius.com, you save over 40% off other prices for life insurance. When life insurers compete for your business, you save money. It's free market. PolicyGenius.com, P-O-L-I-C-Y-G-E-N-I-U-S.com, PolicyGenius.com. Dot com. No jargon, no sales pressure, and no hassle. You can do it quickly, you can do it easily, and then you've made your family safe in case something bad should, God forbid, happen to you. I have a life insurance policy, and I believe that everyone who provides for their family should. Go to policygenius.com to check it out right now. So, back to Comey. Comey's supposed to be speaking with Congress on Thursday, and there are questions as to you know, what exactly that is going to look like. Is Comey going to come out and say that Trump was trying to obstruct his Trump-Russia investigation? The left is hoping so. The White House is doing the right thing. They're saying, we're not going to try to use executive privilege to stop Comey from testifying. That's the right thing to do. The last thing they need is more perception of a cover up. This is smart from Trump and Sarah Huckabee Sanders.
2: Uh, The president's power to assert executive privilege is very well established. However, in order to facilitate a swift and thorough examination of the facts sought by the Senate Intelligence Committee, President Trump will not assert executive privilege regarding James Comey's scheduled testimony.
0: Uh, so good for, good for Trump. This is the attitude he should take. He should be, everything should come out. We should do a full investigation. Everything should come out. I'm going to stop talking about it, and you do what you guys are going to do, and everybody will come up clean. Do so I think Comey's going to say there was obstruction? I don't. I don't think that Comey's going to come out and say that there was obstruction. The reason I don't think he's going to say that is because the natural follow-up would be, if there was obstruction, why didn't you say anything about it until after you were fired? It looks like sour grapes now. If you really wanted to leave, why not just quit? I've said this before, you know, when I was in a position in the last election cycle where I was at odds with management at a company and thought they were doing something immoral, I quit the company so I could speak freely about it and because I didn't feel like it would be worthwhile for me to stay there. Why exactly, if Comey thought he was being obstructed, did he stay on? That's the next question if he says he feels like he was obstructed, especially because he testified before Congress that he was not obstructed. Nonetheless, I mean, CNN is so over the moon about the Comey thing that they've been running a Chiron at the bottom of the CNN screen that says like two days until Comey speaks. Yes, we all understand Thursday is now two days away, but we don't actually need a countdown calendar. OK, it's not his birthday. It's, it, the, the, these countdowns to random events, you know, CBS is going to cover it live. Does that demonstrate the media bias enough for you? They're saying now the, the Republicans are going to run in 26, 2018 against the media. Works for me. Works for me. Because they're, they're not going to have a lot else to run on, frankly. So if they run against the media, I think that's their best bet. Because, at least in part, the media are out of their minds. CBS is broadcasting this live on the network. On the network, they're going to be broadcasting the Comey hearings live. I don't remember the Lois Lerner hearings being broadcast live. I remember Eric Holder's hearings being broadcast live. There are plenty of scandals. I don't remember the, the Hillary Clinton Benghazi hearings being broadcast live on the networks. And yet, now you have James Comey being broadcast live on CBS in the middle of the day. Total madness. Okay, I want to talk about some things I like and some things I hate. So let's do it. So things I like. I talked a little bit about the crisis in Islam, but I think that it's equally important to talk about the glories of the West. Because if you're going to defend Western civilization, you need to know what it is you are defending. What is the Judeo-Christian ethos? Why did it actually help create the, the world in which we live? So here's a great book. It's called How the West Won. Uh, Rodney Stark, The Neglected Story of the Triumph of Modernity. And it really is about why Judeo-Christian ethics, combined with Greek approaches to rationality, created the modern West. It's a revisionist history. It it gets rid of the myth of the Dark Ages, which didn't really exist. It talks actually about the Roman Empire as a time of stagnation for human progress, as opposed to the Great Leap Forward that so many historians try uh, try to talk about. Really, really good, readable book. Rodney Stark is the author. Again, How the West Won, The Neglected Story of the Triumph of Modernity, fantastic, fantastic book. I'm looking forward to getting his other books, The Victory of Reason and the Rise of Christianity. Uh, He is writing, obviously, from a very pro-Christian point of view, but it's hard not to be pro-Christian when you look at the history of Western civilization, which is built on the back of Judaism and and Greek thought and Christianity, promulgating both of those to the world at large. Okay, other things that I like. So Trump did something good. Uh, He came out and he says he wants to privatize air traffic control This makes sense. Whatever the government can privatize, it should privatize. The idea you need a government employee handling air traffic control is ridiculous. You'd want the government not to handle it because the fact is if a private company is handling air traffic control, you understand they go bankrupt the minute a plane crashes. The minute there's a screw-up by air traffic control, the company that is responsible for air traffic control goes bankrupt through lawsuit. So they have a real incentive not to screw it up. Here's Trump talking about it.
1: At its core, our new plan will dramatically improve America's air traffic control system by turning it over to a self-financing nonprofit organization. This new entity will not need taxpayer money, which is very shocking when people hear that. They don't hear that too often.
0: This is good stuff from Trump. That's absolutely what we should do. He then sat down and signed a, a nothing. It was like a piece of paper, and he made it look like he was signing a bill. Congress still has to pass something on it, so it doesn't actually mean anything but This is a move in the right direction. Okay, we have time for a quick thing I hate, which will sort of be a deconstructing the culture thing. So, finally, pop stars did something right. After the Manchester attacks on the Ariana Grande concert, uh, she went back with a bunch of her friends, with Miley Cyrus and with Katy Perry, and they did a concert uh, in Manchester, a benefit concert, which is just it's, it's great. I mean, I'm glad they did it. It shows bravery. It shows courage. Uh, and it does show some, some political wherewithal. But then Katy Perry got up and she felt the need to spout her stupid politics. Well, apparently, I don't know what it is about all these women who have decided that they're going to get their hair cut uh, like, like something from A Clockwork Orange. But in any case, uh, here is Katy Perry straight from Panem talking about what she thinks needs to happen in the aftermath of the terror attack in Manchester.
3: It's not easy to always choose love, is it? Especially in moments like these, right? It can be the most difficult thing to do. But love conquers fear and love conquers hate. And this love that you choose will give you strength and it's our greatest power. So now as you stand here, all of you here and all of you watching from wherever you are, Standing next to a stranger or a family member or a friend or a loved one. Let's just do this little exercise of love. Just touch the next person. Just touch the person next to you. Oh. Make human contact. Tell them I love you. Look in your look in their eyes. Say I love you.
0: Okay, uh, this is so stupid. Okay, this is so intensely stupid. Uh so a couple of reasons why this is stupid. Number one, um, I think we're all good with love, right? I think everyone in this room pretty good with love. Like, I restrict it generally to family members, but uh, there there are other people who don't. In any case, I'm not sure who is anti love in the West. Who's like, oh, I hate love. Love is stupid. Love is the worst. But what is ridiculous is that Katy Perry doing this one love routine. Who is she really talking about? She's saying that if if she's saying love is going to overcome fear, love for whom? For ISIS? You know, love ISIS? You know, love the people who just murdered a bunch of schoolgirls? Uh, those are the people you're going to love? Or you're going to love the people who you don't know enough about to determine whether they're actually on the wrong side of the issue or not. How about a little bit of caution? How about a little bit of risk assessment? How about a little bit of analysis of whether somebody has views that are that are tangential to terrorism or views that are deeply connected with terrorism? And th- th- this this kind of idiotic, John Lennon-esque, imagine if we just all loved each other, everything would be better. It ignores the fact that other people on earth have agency besides Katy Perry. No matter how hard she loves ISIS, ISIS ain't going to love her right back. ISIS wants to murder her and everyone else in that crowd. The only thing that's going to overcome fear of terrorists is actually killing the terrorists and defeating their ideology. Yes, we have to promulgate tolerance, but not tolerance of evil people and evil ideologies. That in and of itself would ensure defeat. Okay, we will be back here tomorrow with more. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show.